Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I want to talk to you today about being changed on purpose. Have you ever come across somebody that their belief in you caused you to believe in yourself? I don't know if you've ever had that honour or that privilege to have somebody who believes in you so much that that causes you to believe in yourself. I think that's one of the great gifts that we have to give one another is faith in each other. And I was thinking this week about some of the people who have had the greatest impact on me and how their confidence in me gave me confidence. How their, what they could see in me allowed me to see what was in me in the first place. That, that their belief unlocked in me a higher level of life something that hadn't been available to me before. Not because it wasn't there, more because I just didn't have the confidence to grab hold of it for myself. You know, I was thinking back to one of the first times I experienced this and what it did in me. And I I remembered my first ever basketball coach, Ron Banderjack. Ron was all arms and legs. And he was the type of person, I've never seen this before in my life, where To walk into a room and through a doorway meant that he had to duck his head and crouch down. He was the type of person that when you saw him driving his car, you couldn't believe that somebody that big could fit into such a confined space. He was everything that I pictured a perfect basketball player to be. And the cool thing was that in my hometown, Ron Vanderjagt, who owned a nursery and grew plants for a living, had invested himself into youth basketball, funding it and providing avenues for young people to learn a sport that I got caught up in. And I remember playing under 16s for Ron as we're travelling the state. And I remember one day he came and sat down with me before a big game. I remember it vividly. We were sitting on the grandstand. I was minding my own business. Pretty sure I was eating a mandarin. And this gangly man, all arms and legs, somehow folded himself down and sat next to me. Ron came to bring both an encouragement and a challenge. So I'd played for Ron for about five years. He taught me how to play basketball, literally. I didn't know how to play previously. And he said to me, Chris, I see you in training. I see you in our social league and you do really, really well. And then we come here and you play for me. And you just hesitate so much. And you hold yourself back at every opportunity. So I was playing against people who were bigger than me, faster than me, better than me. And what that meant is before the tip-off came, I was already defeated. I'd get out there and play basketball and all I'd hope to do is not make a mistake. So all I want to do, I don't don't want to make a mistake. But it also meant that I didn't play my game and I actually didn't help the team win. Ron was in a position where it may have been better just to leave me on the bench. But he had seen me play in different circumstances and settings and all of 15 years old and he just says to me, I see more in you. And he left it at that. Now, I don't know what caused me to react this way. There easily could have been an avenue that I went down where I said, well, that sucks. I'm going to give up this sport and pick up video games or something else. Instead, what that did in me 
is that I started to see what Ron saw. Went out, we played the next game. I came off the bench. I scored 15 points, which isn't huge, but I didn't miss a shot. I gave everything I had. We won the game and I felt like I was part of the team. All because somebody saw something in me that I neglected to see in myself. Now, it'd be wonderful for me to stand here before you today and say, because Ron believed in me, I went on to chase my dream and represent Australia in the Olympics. Played with the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan calls me the goat. That's not the reality. I'm all of six foot one and I am slow footed. And the truth is, I didn't play as good as that again. For some reason, vision, purpose, belief leaks. I don't know if you've experienced that. It's almost as if I needed Ron to sit down with me every single game and give me that pep talk every single time. But that's not reality. And in fact, because that's what I needed, there was no change. While ever we are dependent on somebody else to believe in us, we lose the reality of what God sees and has in store. And I wanna share with you today some accounts from the Scriptures about people who drew out what was inside others, but it stuck. It didn't leak, it didn't bleed, it didn't go away, it didn't need a pep talk after pep talk. It stuck in such a way that the people who gathered around these ones that I wanna talk about were so changed and transformed that they were and became everything that God had called them to be. The first person I wanna talk about is a man named David. David was originally a shepherd the eighth son of his father, Jesse, consigned to look after the sheep in the wilderness. But God sent his prophet Samuel to his father's house to anoint the very next king of Israel. And the most unlikely person was chosen, this guy named David, who would spend his days, it seems, out in the wilderness, tending to sheep and worshipping God. It says that this person was chosen because he had a heart after God. But the funny thing was he was anointed as king, but had to wait a long time to see it fulfilled. He was king already, but not yet. It was something that God had promised and unlocked and said, this is who you are. But David had to persist to enter into it. See, there has been a previous king, a guy named Saul and Saul started well, but didn't finish well. Saul was the people's choice, tall, handsome, just like the kings abroad, but he didn't have the character to stick. And David was chosen as the replacement, not by the people, but by God. But it meant that David had to submit to a process or a a testing where he would honour Saul himself. And this guy David had multiple opportunities as he grew into manhood, as he became a great warrior himself to assassinate Saul, to take the throne by force. I can't imagine how tempting that would have been. That somebody anointed as king, that this is your future, this is what is inside you, but you've got to wait because there's somebody else in the position 
who doesn't deserve to have it, but you need to honour Him anyway. David chose to honour, chose to honour, chose to honour, even when he could have stabbed Saul in the back and gotten away with it. And nobody would have looked down on him or discouraged him for it. In fact, everybody wanted him to do it. He chose to honour. And in this season where David is king but in exile, pushed to the fringes of his, his society, he has to live out on the edges while he waits for the promises to be fulfilled. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt or disconnected rallied around him. And he became their leader for 400 men were with him. David had no army to speak of. He chose to honour and in honouring, he removed himself from situations and circumstances that would cause him to tear down what God had established. But in that, he drew to himself, not the best of the best, not the tallest, not the strongest, not the fastest, not the most gifted. It says here, every man who was desperate, in debt, or disconnected, rallied around him. What a great way to start an army. To get the rejects, the not good enough, the ones who weren't only picked last, they weren't picked at all. These people were so desperate for an opportunity, they left everything they had, which turns out was nothing, so that they could go follow somebody who had nothing himself. Desperately in debt and disconnected, they found something in following David. And if you read on the account, it goes on later on in 2 Samuel to talk about what became of these people, these 400 who turned into something amazing. They grabbed more even to themselves. They were 400, became 600. And in the midst of them, the Bible talks about David's mighty ones. People who were gifted by God because of their confidence in their King to do amazing things. The most unlikely of people. There's an account in 2 Samuel chapter 23 where David is looking out to Bethlehem, his hometown, where he comes from. His father's home is there, Jesse's home. And it has been overrun by the enemy, the Philistines. And David is there looking and he's wanting to retake his hometown to win, to have a victory. And he happens to mention, I imagine almost to himself, oh, if only I could drink water from the well of Bethlehem again. Three of these disconnected, in debt, desperate people overhear David say that. They overhear the desire of their king. They strap on their sword, their shield, they run into Bethlehem and they break through, not to destroy the enemy, not to smash the enemy, but to break through all so they could get to that well, all so they could draw out water, all so they could come back, all so they could give it to David and say, my King, I heard your desire. Here's water from the well. There's something about following the right 
King that causes everything that God has placed in us to come out in the most amazing ways. For people who are disconnected in debt and discouraged and desperate, to be able to hear the desire of a King and do something amazing gives me hope that what God has inside and in store for us is something so significant that all we need to do is hold on. David gets that water and he pours it out. See, that sucks. I just fought for this. I just did everything I could. But David himself acknowledged that he didn't draw on any other king but God. And he poured the water out to God himself. You know, I was, had the honour, I have the honour of doing life with many wonderful people. And one of the avenues I have and I'm honoured to be a part of is every fortnight I meet with a group of men usually at Dome Waikiki and we take over a section of that area and we looked at this Scripture and we asked ourselves, what was it about David that would have caused people to give up everything to come and follow him? We talked about how David must have been accepting, how David must have been filled with charisma, able to inspire, able to unlock. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought David's real key was the fact that he didn't draw on anything but his relationship with God. And he lived a life poured out for him. I want to submit to you today, whatever situation, atmosphere, environment you're in, family, business, marketplace, filled with hope, lacking hope, desperate, there would be the heart of God for us to be changed on purpose so we can live a life poured out for Him. There's one other person who I know drew people to himself and caused them to be changed just by following him. Jesus. In John 18, 36, 37, Jesus answers and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate, who was the Roman official who was putting Jesus on trial to crucify him, Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now I want to submit to you today that a life lived following Jesus is a life of transformation. A life lived following Jesus is a life where change is possible. Where I would even submit it should be assumed. But it does take those of us who are willing, and it often seems to be the disconnected, those in debt, those desperate and despondent with life, to actually make the choice to step out and say, I will find my King and align myself with my King. So we might be disconnected because isolation breeds isolation. We might be in debt, not just financially, but in debt spiritually and emotionally because we don't know how to draw on anything else but our own strength. And if we live our life drawing on our own strength, we'll always be at a loss and a lack. 
that it is possible to draw on a strength that is far beyond yourself, that is eternal in nature. That when the Scripture says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, that is not poetry, that is a fact. Those are desperate, living a life desperate for the things of God means that we're always, always, always one foot in front of the other, willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads. What does it mean to live a life following Jesus as King? I wonder today what it means to have Jesus as King. We don't live in a culture where we give much respect to monarchy apart from the crown on Netflix or things like that. How do you actually live life where Jesus is King and you allow Him to change you in the process? And I just wanted to submit some thoughts in the last few minutes we have available of what I think it has meant for me to live life with Jesus as King and allow Him to transform me along the way. First thought comes out of James chapter 4, verse 7. James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First thing I'd love to submit about what it means to live a life where you're changed on purpose. What are you submitting to? What are you submitting to? See, I would live life based on this scripture with the reality, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he flee from you. See, when you submit, you receive authority. When you submit, you receive authority. And I don't know what that word means to you personally, what that word submit might mean. Maybe things come to mind where you see a pet submitting to the voice of a master, where you see situations and events where people are brought down and destroyed. And submission seems like a dangerous and a difficult word. But I would submit to you the way that the Bible uses that word finds its original meaning in a military term. And it meant to be organised for war. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what if submission actually means to live your life organised and orientated around what it means to live for Jesus today? What if submission is an organised and orientated life? And what things breed and build an organised and orientated life? What if it's doing life with people intentionally and opening up your heart and inviting people to pray and stand with you? Isolation breeds isolation. And just like those that followed David had to leave what they had to go what was, to what was possible, often that's what we need to do ourselves. And I understand I might be speaking to some of us here today or online who do not follow Jesus yet or have been following Jesus or have forgotten how to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. The first step to living a life where you're changed on purpose, with purpose and for purpose is a life where you live organised and orientated towards Jesus as King. What needs to change in the way that we live and act and be so that we can take hold of everything that He has available for us? Another thought comes out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another 
in love. I would submit to you today that we need to serve so that we can live free. With all my heart, I want to submit to you today that we need to serve so that we can live free. To serve means to, to yield to another. I'm mindful that somebody is often waiting on the other side of our obedience. And proximity matters. Do you know how amazing it is to live in a relationship with a God whose greatest act towards us is to sacrifice Himself in our place? There's a reason why the greatest movies we watch and the greatest stories we hear are stories based around sacrifice. I think the human soul is hardwired to honour and appreciate a life lived in service to others. And I want to submit to you that that is a life that's not lived for a select few. That's a life that those that call themselves followers of Jesus are invited into. And if you want to live life free, it often involves sacrifice and service for others. In so many areas, I'm mindful today of parents that are serving their children by loving them even though they don't receive anything in return. I'm mindful today of relationships that are on the verge of breakdown where all it takes is one to say, I will not give up and sacrificially love as long as it takes to restore. I'm mindful today that even as a church, we have people serving in different capacities that have sacrificed their time, their finances, their avenues so that they could put into practice what it means to live sacrificially. To love others more than we even love ourselves puts us in a proper perspective of how to live life free. Not that we're worthless, but because God puts so much worth in us, we tap into the worth that He has in others. And I would submit to you that those who live life bound in discouragement and despondency and despair often do not know what it means to serve somebody else beyond themselves. What does it mean to be changed on purpose? And my final thought comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Last thought I'd submit, we surrender to rise above. Submit to receive authority, serve to live free, surrender to rise above. When I met Jesus the same day that my dad did, I'd never been into a church before. Uh, we went to church that very Sunday uh, into a church that acted as similar to us, I guess I would say, in the fact that there was lots of singing, clapping, and the most interesting thing I'd noticed possible, hands were raised. And I don't know, as we were worshipping there, there were some of us who raised our hands. And I'm not saying that you have to raise your hands to be a follower of Jesus, not at all. But I remember asking somebody at the end of the service, because all this was so new to me, why do people do that? 
And they said it was a moment of surrender. And my introduction to surrender had been through the movies and things that I'd seen where people said, well, stick up your hands. <laughs> I surrender. I thought, how could this be a positive thing? Is this what I've come into? A life lived in that type of surrender. The reality is Scripture says in Galatians 2.20, no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. The life you live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. What if surrender in the Kingdom of God is about dependence and about choosing not to depend on anything but what God has made available now? What if surrender, each and every opportunity we have is a reminder that I should not draw on anything but what Jesus has made available for me. Because I wanna submit to you, even if you've been following Jesus for years and years and years, it is so easy to forget, to surrender. Draw on my experience. Draw on what Ron Vanderjack believes about me. Some of these things aren't wrong, but they won't sustain you. Here's what sustains you, drawing on eternity itself. And the fact of Jesus, your King, has called you from death to life so that you can be and live in everything that He has made available. So I wanna submit to you, Are you willing to live a life of surrender? Because in the Kingdom of God, Jesus does not pick up any weapon, storm into your life, into your heart, into your spirit with a sword drawn and demand anything of you. Here's what Jesus does or did. He allowed Himself to be unfairly trialed He allowed Himself to be whipped to the point where His body was unrecognisable. He allowed Himself to be tortured and tormented only to carry a tool of death and destruction on His shoulder through a city as people ridiculed Him and tore Him down. So He could be led to a spot called the place of the skull and nailed to this tool of death and then put on show for everybody to see and all His nakedness and brokenness. Why? Because the Bible says, why, why, why? For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame and has sat down at the right hand of Father God in heaven. What is the joy in that? You are the joy of Jesus. You are the joy of Jesus. Everybody here in this space, everybody online, you are the very joy of Jesus Himself. And He does not ask you to surrender through intimidation and despair. He takes you where you're at in desperation, in debt, in despondency and disconnection. And He invites you, invites you to surrender to Him, not so that you can live your life defeated, no, so you can live your life in victory, drawing on life itself. John 10.10, it says that Jesus came to give life and life abundant. There is an abundant life available and it's here now and its name is Jesus. But it takes a moment of surrender. And I realise I'm speaking to many of us who have followed Jesus for a long period of time. All I wanna submit to you is that surrender does not get old. 
Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, pick up your cross daily, 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 daily. I wish I could tell you today that I picked up my cross daily. If I had a calendar before you, maybe you'd see that there were three days missed here, four days missed there, two days missed here. The only one I'm robbing is myself when I do that. Because if you live a life of surrender, you draw on something that is beyond yourself and you live life free. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au. Thank you.